Welcome to the Sonoma Collective Podcast. We are a faith family practicing the way of Jesus together in beautiful Sonoma, California. If you'd like to learn more about Sonoma Collective, its ministries, or how you can support us financially, visit sonomacollective.com. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil, and how could I sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, Sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. I don't know about you, but have you guys ever met anyone who has uh, planned to be 40 pounds overweight? No? Anybody that's uh, planned that this would be the year finally they get to file bankruptcy? 2024 is the year, right? Um, Anybody ever talk to someone that had an intentional plan to wreck and destroy their marriage? No, you guys, I, I haven't either. Um, uh, that would be really interesting if we knew someone like that. I mean, no one, you know, no one's going to plan to do something stupid, right? That eventually you have to hide and then you have to lie about and continue lying about it over and over again uh, until you eventually lose trust with those you care about the most, your friends, your family, those closest to you. Chances are good that you've never planned to ruin your life. But it's also true that you also don't plan not to. Many of us don't plan not to do some of those things. Um, last week, we started uh, a series called Better Decisions, Better Life, and we looked at what it means uh, to make wise decisions, the power of our decisions, that that uh, single thing alone, more than our talent and our resources and our wealth and our intellect, the decisions that we make or don't make have the ability to impact our life more than anything else. Uh, right, the, the better the quality of your decisions determines the quality of your life. If you're making good quality decisions, chances are you're going to have a good life. And um, last week, as we sort of talked talked about decision making, uh, we looked into and leaned into the power of predeciding, uh, the power to predecide, meaning before you find yourself in the moment of decision, that well before that you've already predecided what you're going to do. Right. So a simple formula that we we uh, discovered was that when faced with whatever, fill in the, the blank, when faced with temptation, when faced with uh, making a financial decision, when faced with uh, honoring uh, your commitments, you have pre-decided a certain action. So before you even get there, you've already made that choice. You've uh, sat down and spent some time to sort of, what are my values? Like, what's the qualities of my life I really want to hold most important, most valuable? You've gotten with God and, and asked, okay, Lord, what's most important to me? Is it to be generous, to be a person of integrity? And you've pre-decided based on those values what it is you will do when the moment comes. Because that moment will come for every one of us. The, the, the time to make a decision. And what we want to do is be prepared. Be prepared to step into that moment to say, listen, I, I've, I've decided that I'm going to make decisions not based on the emotions on the moment. But rather, we want to make decisions based on who you want to be the rest of your life. And so when you find yourself in that difficult moment, you've already pre-decided, already made the choice that this is what I'm going to do in order to make the, the wise choice. Because when we're in the moment, often are we, as we talked about uh, many reasons last week, it's difficult to make the wise choice. 
for lots and lots of reasons. So I encourage you to go back and take a listen to that. Uh, but the truth remains that when our values are clear, our decisions are really easy. Like if we know what our values are, then it's really simple and easy to follow through on those choices, those values that we've made. So um, with all that said today, the question is, have you ever given in to temptation? I'm sure you guys haven't. You guys look like a really holy group. Never once given into temptation. I mean, have you ever found yourself regretting a decision that you've made? Like, how did I end up here? What, what, what led me to this point? I, I knew the wise choice, but for whatever reason, I gave in to that temptation. And the question, of course, is why? Why did you and I give in to temptation when we were faced with it? I think most of us, we, we, we typically find the answer that it, to that is, well, it, was, it just wasn't strong enough. I just didn't have the fortitude. I didn't have the willpower. I didn't have the strength to resist that temptation. The thing I knew I shouldn't do, but I, I gave into it anyway. Well, I would argue that that's true, but there's never going to be a time that you're going to be strong enough. And that's actually not even the right question. That's not even the right aim is to grow in strength. The uh, better thing to think about is the fact that you weren't and I weren't ready. We just simply weren't ready to handle that temptation. Strength was not the, the bigger issue. Uh, James, uh, who was a brother of Jesus, he ended up being the leader of the church in Jerusalem um, shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, he, he wrote a, a book that's in our, our scriptures, James, and he has this really interesting um, word picture about what it means to resist and to go against temptation and sin. In James 1, 13 through 15, it says this, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. All right, we just stop right there for a moment. Okay, if you ever find yourself, is God made me do it, wrong. I just, that's not true. It's like scripture makes it really clear. That's not God who's tempting you. It says we're very clear that God doesn't tempt anybody. That's not what he's about. He's loving and he's kind and he's good. And he will allow us to go through things in order to refine us and develop and, and refine and shape our character uh, to make us more like him. But he's never the one who's bringing that temptation into your life. Rather, James says, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Something in us that draws us to that. And then it says that after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. I love this analogy of birth that he uses and this idea of where, where does it come from? How does, it, how does temptation lead us then ultimately to sin? Um, I've been privileged of being able to witness a birth. Um, all the way from beginning to end. I uh, was there for the fun part in the beginning of conception, all the way through the uh, other exciting part of delivery. And uh, here comes this baby into the world. Um, and I love this analogy he, he gives to sin, this evil desire within us. We all have these things that are, that are, that are broken in it, within us. And he says that when, when, you, when you allow that desire to conceive, like just like if a baby, once a baby is conceived, what's going to happen? It's going to grow. It's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow. And eventually... No matter how strong the mother is, that baby is coming out. There's no woman on the fa face of the earth that's strong enough to keep that child in. Just say, nope, nope, just want to keep that baby in there and keep letting, maybe when he's like two or three, then he can come out. No, no. No matter how strong that woman is, that baby is coming out. And, and, and James saying, in the same way, those evil desires, if we conceive those, if we allow those things to take, uh, to, to take root within us, then it's going to conceive and it's going to eventually turn into sin. It's going to birth into sin. And when it's fully grown, then eventually that sin is going to turn into death. Death in our life, death of relationships, death of dreams, death of, of, of so many things in our life. When we allow that to happen, when we allow sin, the desire to turn into sin, to give conception to sin in our hearts. Uh, John Owen says this, 
temptations, put nothing into a man, but only draw out what was in him before. You see, those things, those temptations, uh, they're just, they're waiting for the opportunity to present themselves so that sin that's already in that evil desire that's conceived into sin is an opportunity to come out. Last week, I gave, I gave the example, I had this water bottle, I shook it, and out came water. And the question was, why did water come out? And the reason that water came out was because that was what was inside the bottle. And my shaking of it was simply temptation in this analogy, allowing an opportunity for whatever was in that bottle to come out. Right? If there was milk in there, that was what was going to come out. If there was hot coffee, that was going to come out. Once temptation or my shaking hit that bottle. And just likewise in our lives, when temptation comes, it's going to shake us. It's going to try and test us. And whatever's inside is going to come out. Question is, how do we get there? Like, is, that, is it, like James said, is it evil desire that's give conception to sin? Is that what's going to come out of our lives? See, it's not a lack of strength. No matter how strong this bottle is, if I shake it enough, water will come out because that's what's inside. And you and I, we are not strong enough to resist some of those temptations if we've allowed the evil desires to become sin and conceive within us. You see, it's not a lack of strength. It's simply a lack of readiness, of preparedness. We're not ready oftentimes when temptation comes our way to overcome it. Uh, Paul gives us some encouragement here uh, as it relates to temptation. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he says, Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous and be strong. Be prepared. You say, look, you need to be ready. This is coming. Be alert. Be on your guard. It's going to come. Temptation will come your way. Even Jesus himself, he says in Matthew 26, 41, stay awake and pray. Be ready. Be prepared so that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're not strong enough to resist temptation when it comes. If we haven't done the work ahead of time, if we haven't prepared ourselves, if we haven't gotten ready. And so, of course, the question then is why? Why prepare? Why get ready? Why be on your guard? And why, as Jesus said, why should we watch and pray of what's happening and what's coming on the horizon? I'll give you two reasons. Uh, the first one, I'll tell you, at risk of being um, culturally unsophisticated, uh, weird, or even, I guess, canceled. The first reason we need to be ready is because the devil is coming for you. Now, even just saying that the devil, like alluding to him as a, a real person in many today is just sort of so like antiquated and just looked down upon like, really, you, you think there's an actual devil? Well, spoiler alert, yes, I do. I believe that he is a real person. Um, uh, it, it, scripture says that he's coming to steal, kill, and destroy us. Now, obviously, it's not much of an argument with people today to say, is there evil? I mean, most people will say, yes, of course, I, I recognize that there's evil. I have this thing in me called morality, good and bad. I would recognize it. Yeah, I believe there's some evil things out there. But a lot of people sort of just equate it to like a force or sort of just like this ethereal thing that's out there in, in the atmosphere. Um, and most people don't believe Satan is a real living being. In fact, most Christians today don't believe that Satan is a real living being. Uh, the Barna Group uh, did a survey of Christians uh, not that long ago. And the question was this, uh, the statement was, Satan is not a real being, but a symbol of evil. Not, not real, but just a symbol of evil. Only 26% of professing Christians strongly disagreed with that statement. Meaning three quarters of Christians either slightly disagreed with that or didn't agree with it at all. They thought, no, no, he's just like a symbol. It's not like a real person or a real living being. And that's, that's Christians, let alone the, those outside of the faith. And now, you know, that, that may seem strange to you, but in, 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 in some ways it should be because within the existence of humanity, that's been the, that's the exception, not the rule. Right? For much of humanity's existence, this idea of a spiritual reality and a natural reality, that's been a very, a very common, just taken for granted thing. 
It wasn't until the Renaissance and the Enlightenment period with, with the scientific reasoning that happened in, in Europe and kind of sparked around the world. It wasn't until then where there's this like separation of the, the supernatural and the natural that we started to come up with these ideas that, well, the spiritual world doesn't really exist. Like we're just naturalists, like this is cause and effect kind of thing. And so that's just like, that's just for like the mystics and like the people that, you know, a little bit, you know, unsophisticated. Um, now, if you're, if you're saying in your imagination, when I say the devil is like the pop culture's version and he's got red skin and horns and a pitchfork, then I would agree with you. Like, I don't think that that is exactly what we're talking about. When we talk about the devil, but I do believe that he's real. And there's just a couple quick reasons. If, if you give me a moment on this, um, first reason I think he's real is because scripture, scripture testifies to the fact that the devil is real. Um, from the beginning, we look at the creation account. Uh, the creation account, uh, the Judeo-Christian creation account is that there is a God, uh, a non-created creator that, that breathed everything into existence. And if, if everything he created was good, according to scripture, then if evil is simply a force, then that means that God authored it. And that's just inconsistent with who God is, that he's good and kind and loving. Uh, the only thing that really uh, aligns with that, that, that makes sense with that, is the fact that evil comes from evil persons or creatures. Um, we know that in scripture, it's clear that God created humans and he created spiritual beings or angels. And those uh, spiritual and, and, and humanistic creature, creatures were given the choice between good and evil. And by giving them will and free will, they could choose. And we choose every day whether it's going to be good or evil in our life. And so the spiritual beings that chose evil are referred to as demons, the devil being the, the chief agent among them, uh, who then in, in brought in evil into the world and into creation. And just a couple things on that. One is remember that always that it's a creature. The devil is a creature, not a creator. He's not on equal playing field with God. He's not the yang to yang God. It's not this like, you know, equal forces here that we're talking about. Uh, but he is the chief leader of wickedness that we see in the world. And the other reason, aside from that, is that the, the writers of the New Testament, they believed that the devil, that Satan is a real being. L listen to some of the ways that he is described in the New Testament. Uh, instead of Satan or of the devil, that he speaks, he lies, he works, he contends against God's angels, he has desires, he prowls, he has designs and plans to outwit believers, children of God, he murders, he gets angry, he deceives. Now, about you, but those are not descriptions of an immaterial force. Those are descriptions of a person or a living creature, a living being. Uh, some of the names given to the devil are accuser, slander, adversary, tempter, uh, ruler, or prince of this world, or the god of this age. And the third, uh, and probably the most convincing reason why I believe that the devil is in fact a real creature, a real living being, is that Jesus himself believed in the reality of Satan. In Matthew 4, we see that he had a, a showdown with him, one of many uh, that were aware of, where he went out into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. He had a conversation with him. He dialogued with him in the wilderness as, as the devil tried to tempt him and get him off the plan that God had for his life. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm of the opinion that if I'm going to follow Jesus and surrender completely to him, that I don't, I don't get to pick and choose what part of his life or what part of his teachings that I want to follow that I have to take the whole counsel of scripture. I have to take all of God's and all of Jesus' invitations to follow. And this isn't a buffet line of spirituality where I can pick and choose like, yeah, it's good to be kind to my neighbor, but I'm not going to sure if I'm going to believe about this whole devil thing, right? I, I'm going to have to take everything that Jesus says uh, and to heart and, and that's reality. Second uh, Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So one of the primary reasons we need to be ready and prepared that temptation is coming is because the devil is coming after us. Uh, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. 
He is coming for you. He's coming for me. And the second reason is that you and I were not as strong as we think. Or just not as strong as we like to believe ourselves to be. First uh, Corinthians ten twelve says, So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. This is a, one of those great uh, warnings to those of us that are prideful, that are sort of like, you know, I'm fine. Like, I'll be good. Like, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I, I'm not that tempted in that area. Like, I'll be fine. If it comes, it's like, maybe you, you know, maybe you're weak, but I'm good. Like, I'm, I got what I need. Like, I don't need that. And scripture has lots of warnings. This being one of them, like, just be really careful. Those of you that think you're standing firm, just be careful because that's like the, the recipe for disaster. That's a recipe for a fall, right? And then that pride can be a, a dangerous thing in our lives. Um, but, you know, outside of scripture, most people believe and overestimate their ability to resist temptation. Um, restraint bias is a simple phrase to you think you can resist more than you can. So like, like, like when you're at the office and there's, you know, there's cookies that someone brought in, you're like, I'm good. First time you walk by it, second time I'm good. I'm not going to have that. But, but by the end of the day, you've like taken three or four, right? Like the fifth time you walk by, like, ah, one won't hurt. It's okay. Right? There's this, there's this concept of, of restraint bias. The Decision Lab uh, defines it like this. It's our tendency to overestimate the level of control we have over our impulse behaviors. These urges typically come from, quote, visceral impulses such as hunger, drug cravings, fatigue, or sexual arousal. And so why? Why do we do this? Why do we resist? Well, because resisting takes a ton of energy. A ton of energy. That, that part of our brain that controls our ability to resist and that, that, uh, that controls our willpower, it wears out, right? The longer we go, the more decisions we make, the weaker that muscle gets. I don't know about you, but I'm usually out of it by about noon. <laughs> like my willpower, like, uh, you know? So like, if you want to tempt me with some sweets, like just hit me up in the afternoon, I'm probably going to say yes. Willpower wanes, you could say. You know, it's like you're at work all day and you're, 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 you've got that coworker. You're like, you know, I'm going to like, I'm not going to yell at him today. I'm not going to do that. And you, you do, you make it through and then you get home and yell at your kids. Right. Or, you know, you got, you're spending, spending your energy. Like I'm, I'm not going to get mad at my kids. That's like what they do. That's just part of what it means. And then you blow up at your spouse. Right. So our willpower is a limited resource it's not an infinite pool we can tap into. And that self-control, the more we use, the less we have. So we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. The devil is coming for us and we're not as strong as we think. And so we need to be prepared before temptation comes knocking on our door. So how, how do we do this? How do we fight temptation? So just three keys uh, we'll talk about today. Uh, three ways that we're going to pre-decide that before we find ourselves in that temptation, that we've already pre-decided what a response is going to be. First is we're going to move the line. We're going to magnify the cost and we're going to plan our escape. Uh, first thing we're going to do is we're going to, uh, we're going to move the line. So I've got some uh, wonderful tape here today. Uh, we're going to use a little analogy, if you will. So um, I want you to imagine that this line, is that line in your life? That is the line between good and bad. So on this line, over here on this side is good. Good decisions. You're in the will of God. You're being righteous over here. Sin. Bad decisions. Not good results in your life like bad. So this is good. Right? I guess with me, this is bad. Sin over here. Okay? So that's the line. Right? Whatever that looks like for you. What do we typically do with that line? That's about right here. I'm good, right? Like everything is okay. I haven't crossed the line. Like I'm good. Like as long as I just write, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like there's that line. Like I'm not going to cross that line. But man, we get really close to that line, don't we? Like I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stay right here. I'm okay. As long as I don't cross the line, I'm good. Uh, I remember uh, before... I uh, was walking with Jesus. Uh, I was I was uh, I was a big partier. I was in like party lifestyle, going out to the bars and the clubs. 
high school all the way through college, many years after college, I did that. And I remember that line a lot. I remember where that line was, right? And I remember thinking like, it's okay. Like I can just have one more drink. It's okay. Like I'm not, I haven't crossed the line yet. I'll be good. Like I'm sure my, my metabolism will like take care of this and remove it out of my system. I'll be fine. And I can, you know, and then, oh, maybe it's one more decision and one more decision. And then, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times I'd wake up over here like the next morning and like, what happened last night? Like what, what, what's going on? Like where, how did I end up here? Right. I mean, I would, I would do that. I get close to that line. I would cross over that line all the time. And, and we do that in, in some things in our life, but there's other areas of our life. We don't do that. Like, for example, when I'm driving my kids in the car and we're like on a curve, right? What I'm not doing is thinking like, how fast can I go before the car rolls over? Like, I'm just not going to think that I'm not going to like that line's over there. I'm like way over here. I'm like, I'm good. Like, I'm going to take the, the turn kind of fast, but not so much where I might like barrel roll the car. And the kids have this incredible story to tell everybody. Like, I, I'm just not going to do that. And I remember when, um, when I did finally give my life to the Lord, you know, there's a, there's a, I got a profound um, salvation and, and deliverance in my life when it came to uh, my, my sexual life and in terms of my view of women and promiscuity and all those things. And I remember, you know, when I first started dating Carissa and I was like, okay, I know what the line is, I think. Like, I think I know what the line is as a Christian. Like, I'm not supposed to do anything that I did before until we get married, right? Like that's the line. So I was a little nervous. Like I didn't know exactly what that meant. Like what could we do? And I was like trying to like talk to some pastors like, hey, like what's okay? Like what's on this side of the line? Cause I know there's some things over there and like I couldn't really get like clear answers. So honestly, like I was terrified. So um, it was really like, it wasn't great. And Krista will testify, thankfully she's not here but she can confirm all this. Um, it was so bad. Like it, it took five months before I held her hand. Like, it's so bad, guys. Like, it was like, I'm like, if I touch her, like, that's probably sinning. So I'm just not going to hold her hand. Cause, like, if I hold her hand, like, before you know, we might end up in bed together. Like, I don't want that to happen. So I can't even, like, touch her. Right. And, like, there were times where we'd be watching a movie and, like, all of a sudden, like, I don't know, I get some feelings and I'd be like, I got to go. And I literally, like, run out of the room. Like, I'll call you tomorrow. Like, sorry, I got to go. It's just like, what did I say? Like, what was wrong? Like, what did I do? I didn't want to cross that line. I didn't want to cross that line. So I was like, I did, I would not recommend that. Like I, I needed some more counsel, obviously, on what was appropriate or not. Um, but here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to, we're going to decide, we're going to pre-decide. We're going to have a new line like that. If that's the line, if this is like good, this is like, I'm, I'm in God's will, like everything's great. And this is sin. We're not going to like, that's not going to be the line. We're going to have a new line. We're going to move the line here. All right. Whatever that is, whatever we're talking about, whether it's spending too much money on Amazon right or if it's you know hanging out with the wrong people like that's going to be the line right that's going to be the new line so if that's you like let's say that like that line over there is spending too much on amazon like you're not going to go over here to where all you have to do is hit send or one click buy you're gonna you're gonna um you're gonna call up your friend and say here's my amazon password and so before i make any purchases i've got to call you and tell you what i'm going to buy before you give me that password like that's the new line for you because that's going to keep you from crossing that line does that make sense Right? Or maybe you're one of those that spends a little bit too much time on your phone. Maybe you're like four, six hours on Instagram a day and you're like, that's probably too much. So I don't want to like, I don't want to go from like four to too much. So I'm just going to do 30 minutes. Like this is my new line. I'm going to do 30 minutes on Instagram and that's it. That's my limit for the day. I'll put the limit around my phone and then I won't be able, that way I'm, I'm really far away from crossing that line. Right? Or maybe, you know, like me, you've got some trouble going out at night. Right. You go out clubbing, you go out, you have some drinks and, you know, you get drunk, you hook up with somebody. 
And so your new line is, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna drink or hook up. No, no, your line is I'm not going clubbing. Like that's the line. Like I don't trust myself, so I'm just gonna, that's gonna be my line because I know the devil's coming for me. I know that my willpower is not strong enough once I'm in that environment. So instead of trying to go out clubbing and drink and then not go too far, I'm just gonna not go clubbing. Like that's my new line. You guys follow me? Right, so we're gonna, we're gonna move the line so we can pre-decide. We're gonna create barriers between you and sin. You need more barriers, you need more of a cushion there. And now some of you might be like, wow, this seems really restrictive. Like, isn't this kind of like legalism a little bit? Like, are we going a little bit too far? I would say absolutely not, it's the opposite. It is freedom. It is freeing to have those kind of boundaries and those barriers, that margin between you and a, and a poor decision that could, five minutes of, of, of just pleasure could completely sink your life forever. Uh, David, King David says it like this. Let me imagine this guy, he's king, right? He's probably handsome. He's probably a good-looking guy. He's got plenty of temptation. And he says this in one of his songs in Psalm 16, 6. He says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Like, I have so many blessings from God. Like, I'm so thankful, right, that he's, he's led me by still waters, that he leads me with his staff and his rod to, to he leads me to, to green pastures and, and beautiful streams. Like, I don't need to worry about going over there. Like, that's a, that's a good boundary line for me. That has fallen in a pleasant place for me. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, um, in his book, uh, Boundaries, which if you haven't read that, I highly recommend. It's a fantastic book. He says this, boundaries define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows me where I end and where someone else begins, leading me to a sense of ownership. Knowing what I am to own and take responsibility for gives me freedom. You see, I gotta know where I end and where someone else begins. I've gotta know where my lot in life is, like what's good decisions for me and what's not good for me. That's a, that's a pleasant thing that creates freedom for me because I can do whatever I want in that boundary. And that's freedom, that's a, that's a beautiful gift that we can receive from God. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to move the line. Second thing, we're going to magnify the cost. You just, you need to ask yourself the question. If I give in to this temptation, like what's the worst that could happen? Like go down that road. Some of you guys that are like doomsday preppers, you're going to love this step. This is made for you, right? Like what's the worst that can happen? Okay, we need to get like all the, you know, we need to get some generators and all that, right? Like what's the worst that can happen? If I say yes to that invitation, if I do do this thing, if I hang out with those people, if I make this purchase, like what's the worst that can happen in this situation? Worst case scenario, what can go wrong? Well, so I'm gonna get pregnant. I could lose somebody's trust. I could lose my reputation. I could lose my job. Some of us could lose our marriage by giving into temptation. It could jeopardize the relationship I have with my kids, not just now, but forever. Right? It could require a lifetime of reconciliation work and, and asking for forgiveness and going to count. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? And Numbers 32, 23 is a fantastic scripture, something I, um, I, um, I don't say I want to threaten my kids with this, but I like to lovingly remind them of this truth of God. Uh, Numbers 32, 23, it says, but if you don't do this, you will certainly sin against the Lord. Be sure your sin will ca- catch up with you. In other translations, it says your sin will find you out, or my favorite translation is it will track you down. Be sure that your sin is never isolated. It's never unseen. Whatever is hidden will be brought out into the light. Whatever is in secret will be made public and shouted from the rooftops, Scripture says in other parts. Whatever it is you think you're doing that no one's watching, that's not true. Someone is always watching. 
And you think, well, of course, God's watching. He's always, he's omnipotent. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. Yes, that's true. But so are you. You're also watching. And every time you make that choice or you give into that temptation, what is that doing to you? What is that doing to your integrity? As you violate your most cherished values, the core of who you want to be, the, the way you want to live your life, every time you make that choice, you're violating that. What is that doing to your integrity? That duplicitous nature of like, I'm, I'm, I wanted to say no, but I said yes. You're right. You're, you're losing that, that trust you have in yourself. Magnify the cost. If I betray my vows, at the very least, it compromises my integrity. Right? I, I lose trust from Carissa, the respect of my kids. Like it causes them a lifetime of hurts. And, and then in a position that I'm in as, as a, one of the leaders in the church, what does that do to, and I say this humbly, to your relationship to God? Like the weight of that or the people that I've, I've led to the Lord, like what does that do if, if then now I've, I've made that choice? Right? I mean, not only could I lose ministry, but that five minutes of, of fun or of poor decision could literally wreck a lifetime of things that we're trying to build for ourselves. You want to resist temptation. You want to be prepared and ready when that moment comes to make the right response. You've got to move the line, redraw that line, and then magnify the cause. What would happen if? Play out that scenario. What's the worst case scenario? The devil's going to attack, and when he does, we need to be ready. The third thing we're going to do is we're going to plan our escape. We're going to plan our escape well before it happens, well before it comes. So we're in, we're in Joseph. Or we're, we're talking about Joseph. We're in Genesis chapter 39. Um, yeah, Carissa says often that I'm like Joseph. It says this in verse 6. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. I don't know if she actually says that. She did actually say the other night that she thought I was attractive, so I was like, great, I can actually use that in my sermon, so thank you for that. Um, after some time, verse 7, his master's wife, that's Potiphar, he works for Potiphar. He's second command of Potiphar's house. Potiphar is one of the uh, top officials in all of Egypt. It says, after some time, his master's wife, and you imagine she's like a, a well-to-do woman. She's well-known in the community. Uh, she looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. So here we have a classic situation of temptation come calling. Temptation is knocking on the door of Joseph saying, are you going to let me in? It would have been really easy for Joseph to give into this, wouldn't it? I mean, think about it, right? Like he's all alone. Like no one's going to find out, right? Like he could have told himself that, you know, here I am. You know, I've been working really hard. Like, you know, I deserve a little bit of fun. And she, hey, she came on to me. So like, you know, like I'm not in the wrong here. I didn't do anything wrong, right? I'm sure she was an attractive woman. He's a young guy. He's got this like cougar, like making a move on him. He's like, all right, you know, like I, I can let this go. Or perhaps you could have done what many of us do or, you know, is, is, is this, we, we blame God. Like, God, this is your fault. I'm even here. Like, God, where were you when my brothers threw me in that pit? Where were you when they sold me into slavery? Like, God, aren't you at fault? Like, is it, your, is it because of you or your lack of protection that I'm even in Egypt? I haven't seen my dad or my brothers in, in, in years, right? I mean, I'm a slave and I'm, I'm working my, my, my tail off for this. And, you know, like, you know, you, you allowed me to be in the situation. So I'm just going to live in it, I guess. You can't let your disappointments justify your disobedience. And we do this, don't we? We allow our, our disappointments, like it didn't work out. This hasn't gone the way I'd hoped it would. And so we allow that to then justify the poor choices we make. We allow it to justify our disobedience and not doing what we know God is asking us to do. I can't believe you, you, you just allow, you know, my spouse isn't meeting my needs, God, so I just got to do what I got to do. Like I'm disappointed, I'm let down, things aren't the way I, I hoped they would be, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to do what I, what I got to do. Like I, I'm okay in this situation because you haven't met my needs. Or God, you've got me in this spot. Like you're the reason why I'm here, right? Like you didn't deliver me this from this, so I, I guess I just got to live and got to walk in this and, you know, 
It's going to be okay, I suppose. Like Joseph could have easily done that. But our man Joe did not do that, did he? Look at Genesis uh, 39, 8. He says he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. He's put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. So how could I do this immense evil and how could I sin against God? And he looks at her, he looks temptation in the eye and he says, no deal. Like this isn't happening. Like your husband, trust me. Like I don't want to violate the trust that he has in me. Like I would be horrible for me to do that. Even beyond that, he says, how could I sin against him? But how could I sin against God? How could I do that? How could I violate God and his faithfulness to me? And, and every time that we, we sin, remember, it's always relational. Sin is always relational. Because the commands that we've been given to live by, the things that God's inviting us into, are always from him. And so if we're breaking one of his commands, then we're violating our relationship with God first and foremost. Every sin is first and foremost a sin against God. It breaks our relationship. It creates separation, a barrier between us. Not only that, but then of course it also does that to people too, because people are involved when we say we make choices. Sin is always relational. And Joe gets this. Like he just was like, look, I can't, how can I do that to Potiphar? He's been so generous and kind to me. How can I do that to God who's protected me all these years through all that I've been to? He's still been faithful to me. How can I violate and, and break his heart? So we're like, all right, good deal. Joseph made the right call. Like he resisted temptation. So that means it must have had, it must have been done, like a done deal, right? She she gave up, like no more temptation, right? That's how it works in your guys' life. Temptation comes once, you resist, you're good. Verse 10, although she spoke to Joseph day after day, <laughs> like she was not giving up. Like this is like, she was very forward, right? Day after day, she keeps hitting on him. Like, come on, Joe, like keep sleeping with me. And listen, day after day, the devil's going to keep wearing you down. He's going to keep coming after you. He's going to keep throwing temptation in your face. He's going to keep trying to get you to falter and fall. He's not going to give up. Like if he's on a mission to steal, kill, and destroy, that's not just like a one-time assignment. He's going to continue to come after, continue to attack. We're going to continue to face temptation over and over and over again. Uh, Douglas Moo, a theologian uh, and a Paulian scholar, says this, Temptation will be part of our experience, as it was the experience of the Lord himself, from Hebrews 2.18, throughout our time on earth. Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation, but the infrequency of succumbing to temptation. I mean, again, I want just, I'm really into spiritual realism. Like if you are following Jesus, cause you're like, I just, I, I expect my life to get really easy now that I'm saying yes to Jesus. I got news for you. Like you set yourself up for failure. That's not at all. Like read scripture. Like Jesus said, if I'm tempted, like what's going to happen to you guys that are following me? Like if I get persecuted and certainly the people that are going to fall after me, aren't they going to get persecuted as well? You will have trouble in this life, Jesus said. But take heart because I've overcome the world. Like if you're, if you're hoping like temptation is just going to go away and eventually it's going to stop, then like you're, you're just, that's a fool's errand right there. I remember, um, again, uh, when I came to faith, I was having a conversation with a pastor who was much older in years. And uh, we're talking about like sexual temptation and sin. And, um, you know, he's a guy who was, he was in his 60s at the time. And he was recounting the story of one of his mentors who was another 20, 30 years above him. And um, a real godly man, and he like looked up to him, and he's like, you know, he's like, he's about as close as you're going to find to a saint, right? Like walking the earth but until we see Jesus face to face. And he was having a conversation, and he says, hey, you know, like, when, when does like the like sexual temptation go away? Like, when does that, like, as you grow closer to Jesus? And he says, it never goes away, right? And it was just one of those like sobering moments for me as I was like, you know, I give my life to the Lord. I've been freed from pornography addiction. And like, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to do this. Like, do it God's way. It's awesome. It's great. 
And it was a little deflating. I got to be honest. Like when I heard that, I was like, really? Like it never goes away? Like never? But that's, that's the reality. Like that's what it looks like. Like, Temptation is always going to present itself. And sometimes it'll look differently. But as we grow close to the Lord, the the idea isn't that it's just going to be magically like whisked away from us. But our ability to resist, our preparedness will, will prepare us to be able to resist that temptation. And again, you could look at Joseph and think like, man, he must be strong. Like, look at this guy. Like, he's, he's got to be strong. Like, but I'm telling you, he wasn't strong. He was ready. He was smart. He was prepared when that temptation would come. He was smart enough to pre-plan his escape. Uh, look what happens. Um, one day, Potiphar's wife, she gets real bold, real aggressive, this lady. Verse 11. One day, he went to the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. Big mistake, by the way, Joseph. Just saying. Should have walked out. Don't, don't go when there's no, one, no witnesses. Verse 12, she grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. Like she's like, she's, she's like done with all of her like wooing and flirting. She's just like, I'm just going to like physically grab him and like make him do this thing. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. I mean, he literally leaves his coat behind. He's like, I would rather leave some clothes. I'm out of here. Like better to have a good name than a good coat. Right, just like that was, I, I like that was my favorite outfit, but I'm like gonna leave that behind because my reputation is way better than that outfit. Like he'd already decided, like if she ever makes a, a move on me, like I'm gonna literally turn around and run the opposite direction as fast as I can. Like if that's what it's gonna take to get away from her, like he's already predecided. If temptation comes knocking and she grabs me, I run. Like he made that choice. He predecided that formula. He's like, if this happens, this is what I'm gonna do, because he knew he wasn't strong enough to resist. He knew when it came, he was going to have to run from it. He was going to have to do everything he could to physically remove himself from that situation. What's interesting is this idea of running, turning and running away. We see this concept all throughout the New Testament. A, a word maybe you wouldn't associate with it, but the word is repent. Luke 5.32 says, uh, Jesus said, I came not to call, call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This idea of repentance or repent literally in the Greek just simply means to turn around, to physically 180 degrees. Like you're going in this direction, you're to turn around and go the opposite direction. It's exactly what Joseph did. She grabbed his coat. He's like, no, no, I'm out of here. Like, I don't care about that. I'm going the opposite direction. I can't even come close to that. Like I know where my line is and she's trying to cross over my, like my, my good line, not even like the really bad, like I'm out of here. He's like, I'm leaving. I'm going to go as far away from this as I possibly can. And that's, we even think about sin. Jesus describes it that way. It's literally to completely change your mind, to, to change your thoughts, to change your actions and go the opposite direction. And we see that in, in Joseph and his response here. You are going to face temptation. There's no question to that. And I'm telling you right now, you and I, we're not going to be strong enough. We're not going to be strong enough to resist. Um, but even if we're prepared, even if we think we're ready, sometimes we won't even be fully ready. But there is good news. There's always good news with Jesus, and that is that he is faithful. God is faithful. Even if we falter, even if we stumble, God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation, nothing, no, no temptation you can even imagine has come upon you except what is common to humanity. So if you think, if you're sitting there like, man, you guys, if you only knew how difficult this was, I got news for you. You're not alone. Other people have been through the exact same thing before, possibly even worse. It says, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out. He will give you that path. He will give you that escape so that you may be able to bear it. God is faithful. He's faithful no matter how difficult it may seem to resist that temptation. Because look, nobody plans to mess up. None of us. None of us is planning to have this be our worst year ever. 
but few of us plan not to, right? Few of us draw the lines and say, I'm gonna do everything I can so that it doesn't become that. And so listen, we gotta be honest, we gotta be vulnerable with ourselves and ask like, how is the devil most likely gonna come after you? Like, what are your weaknesses? What are those points of like, you're like, man, if he comes, like this is a really area of, of my struggle. Maybe it's because of past. Maybe like, like me with stuff I've been through, like I, I know some of those things. So I'm gonna stay really far away. I'm gonna create some really strong barriers to resist that temptation. But for you, what does that look like? As we meet in our communities this week, this is part of the conversation, like talk about those areas of vulnerability. What are those weak spots for you? Get that encouragement, get that soft accountability or even hard accountability from, from within your community. Those people that love you, that are walking with you, praying for you. Ask those people in your life, like, hey, what would be the good line for me to draw in this situation? If you were me, like, what would your line be? Like, get some counsel and some wisdom there because you're like, I don't want to get close and cross that line. So where should I draw that new line? Like, what should that look like in my life? Be open, be vulnerable to those that love you in your life. Pre-decide how much distance are you going to put between yourself and temptation? Put that distance in there, create that margin, create that boundary. Um, I remember um, when I, again, gave my life to the Lord and was thinking about like, uh, you know, what it meant to honor him uh, with my body and to honor him within the context of relationships. And so I made a promise to God. I had made a promise to chastity because I was trying to overcome a pornography addiction. I was trying to overcome just a lifetime per promiscuity. And I said, Lord, I, I know that I can't do this on my own because I had tried over and over again and I couldn't. I was addicted as the word means. I was addicted. I could not free myself. I was not strong enough to be my own savior. And so I cried out to God. I said, look, if you can deliver me from this, then I promise to, to honor you. I promise to honor the Christian sexual ethic. I, I will honor you with my body. I will, I will uh, make a promise to chastity. Now, what that means is that in singleness, that means celibacy. That means anything outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, like anything outside of that was sexually immorality and that was not within God's design. And so I, if I was single and in those seasons I was single, it was to celibacy. And then in marriage, that meant simply faithfulness faithfulness to my wife, the promises that I made to her, that we made to each other, the covenant that we made. And so when I was dating Carissa, that meant that I was going to honor her and I was going to forsake others, everybody else besides her. And for me, what that meant was I had to draw a, a pretty, pretty strong line. I, when, when I was in that place, I was still, you know, really sensitive to those things. I, I made the decision that if I was ever going to see certain things that would lead me to sexual temptation, that I had to protect my eyes. I couldn't allow those images into my life. And so if we were uh, watching a show and a commercial came on, it was a certain commercial like Victoria's Secret, someone, I would look the other way. I would literally physically move myself, my head to the other side, avert my eyes so I would not see what was on that screen. There'd be times we'd be driving down the road and I could just in my periphery see like, I think that's a woman. I think she's attractive. I'm not going to look. I'm going to avert my eyes. I'm not going to allow myself to even see that. I don't want that image on my mind because I don't want to get close to that line. And so this line means I'm not even going to allow those images into my brain to even, even to create like a desire within me that I could eventually get conceived into sin and then just wait for that temptation to come out. I drew that line. I got to tell you, Krista was not a big fan of this at first. Like we had some interesting conversations and to her, like the biggest theme was like, like, how weak are you? Like, what is wrong with you? Like you're that weak, like you can't even see something and not be tempted. And my answer was, yeah, yes, I am. Because I know where that line is. I've crossed that line many times. And I'm so thankful to be on this other side of deliverance and salvation that God has brought me into relationship with him, has forgiven me for those things and has saved me and has put me on the path of righteousness. I don't want to even get close to that line. And as we would have those conversations, start to see that a little bit more, she realized like, oh, wow, like you're actually doing this to honor me. 
And it went from like, how weak are you to like, wow, thank you for honoring me. Thank you for uh, caring that much about our relationship and wanting to honor God that you would go to that such extreme measure that maybe other men wouldn't have to, but you know what your temptation is. So you know where that line has to be for you. And it became something that became then a, a, a reassurance for her, a comfort to her to know like, I, I can trust you in this space because I see where your lines are. I see where those boundary lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. And it became a gift to her that I could offer in our dating life that she didn't have that concern or worry about us. I had to move that line. I had to move that tape. Uh, there's an article in Sports Illustrated a long time ago about a, a guy named David Robinson. You may know him. Um, he's a, a seven-footer. He was an MVP of the NBA at one point, played for the San Antonio Spurs. And the uh, title of the article was St. David. And this article was interviewing him and talking and exploring this concept of what does it look like for a Christian to be in the midst of like the NBA and all the temptation as a husband, a father, like how do you survive in that kind of intense environment? And so they would talk about different situations. And one of them was that, that when the TV breaks would happen or the commercials would happen, there'd be timeout in the middle of the game, that he would sit on the bench and he would stare at the ground because he didn't want to look at the cheerleaders that are out gyrating in the middle of the, of the court during the timeout. So he would look down. And then there would be situations where like before or after the game, there would be women who would uh, just really uh, strongly come on to him, similar to like Potiphar's wife, right? They, they, they're attracted to the fame and he's like a good looking dude and he's like super jacked and they're just like, okay, you know, these women like throwing themselves at him and, and he would, on more than one occasion, he would really almost rudely like brush them off and like dismiss them very quickly and people would observe this and they would ask him like, that's such a, like a rude practice on the surface. Like, why do you do that? And he was quoted as saying, if any woman is going to get her feelings hurt, it's not going to be my wife. Because he knew what the line was for him. He didn't want to even come close to crossing that line. And so, listen, you know, I, I knew that I had been given freedom. I'd been given freedom from lust. I'd been given freedom from pornography. And the longer I go, the, the less that temptation feels in my life. But I also am still wise enough to say I'm not going to cross that line. I've redrawn that line and, and, and I'm not going to just step over that because I think somehow I'm strong because the, the truth is that freedom does not remove responsibility. You might've been set free from something. That's great. Praise God for that. But that doesn't mean you're not responsible anymore. You still got to be responsible to know what are your limits? Like where should those boundaries be in your life? Be prepared, be ready because temptation's still going to come. Don't think that because you're 10 years, 20, 30 years removed from something that you're not still responsible for knowing what those lines must be for being prepared I mean, I guess the, the, the simplest question is, why would I resist the temptation in the future if I can eliminate it today? Like if I line is drawn so much, if I move that line so much, if I prepared my heart and I've counted the costs and I've gone down that road of worst case scenario, like why would I even like get close to that line if I can just eliminate it today? Like by drawing that line where it needs to be. The devil's going to attack friends and we need to be ready because we're not as strong as we think we are. We need, to, we need to move the line. We need to magnify the cost and ultimately plan our escape. What are we going to do when temptation comes calling? How are, we going to re- how are we going to repent? How are we going to turn and run as fast as we can away in the other direction? Because when our values are clear, our decisions get easier. And if we do this, the next time you're tired, you're overwhelmed, you're just, you're angry, you're emotional or depressed, you're just at your most vulnerable, you can be rest assured having pre-decided that your decisions won't be based on the emotions in the moment. Rather, your decision will be based on the values that God has placed on your heart, the person that you want to be, not just now, but for the rest of your life. And when we commit all of our activities to God, our words, our thoughts, our deeds, he will establish our plans. He's promised us that, friends. 